What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, on the other end of the line is my trusty co-host, Curtis. And uh, we got what we hope is a good show for you guys today. We're going to dig into the Week 4 mailbag, where we are going to be taking questions from the week that was against Sanford, and also questions previewing the week that is heading into our Top 25 matchup with the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Also, uh, towards the end of the show, we are very excited to bring in Will Salmon from the Clarion Ledger in Mississippi, one of the state's leading newspapers, who is a beat writer for the Mississippi State football team, and he's going to give us the rundown on the Western Division Bulldogs. So make sure to stay tuned for that towards the end of the show. But before we get all that good stuff, I want to make sure to throw some quick friendly reminders your way. Uh, if you're not following us on Twitter, you can definitely do so at Glory underscore UGA. If you're new to the show, we love the interaction with you guys. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We're no different from you guys. We're fans like each and every one of you, so we love to hear your thoughts and kind of get that discussion going. So do not be shy there. And also, if email is a little easier for you, you can uh, email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. Uh, and also, one more quick reminder for some of our newer listeners. Uh, if you're just checking in for the first time, there's a number of different podcasting platforms that you can find our show on. You can definitely find us on all the big ones, iTunes, SoundCloud, also the Stitcher and TuneIn apps. You can also check us out on vSportO on the dogsportsradio.com internet radio website. So feel free to check us out on any of those sites, whatever works best for you guys. But we've got a lot to get to today, so Kurt, let's go ahead and dig into the mailbag before we bring in Mr. Sammons to talk about the Western Division Bulldogs. Uh, we're going to start with the Samford questions and then kind of work our way towards the Mississippi State questions, which is most of the questions. But uh, we're going to start with with Samford here. And Alvin, one of our loyal listeners, appreciate the, the question, Alvin. Alvin actually has more of a comment. He wants to give a shout-out to Big Trent for the way he dominated the interior and made the hustle plays downfield against Samford. Kurt, do you agree with Alvin? Should the, the Big Trent deserve a uh, shout-out? Against um, you know, I thought Trent played well, definitely. I mean, he made some plays definitely down the field. You know, hitting some guys when we were missing tackles when he got a little sloppy at the end of the uh, second quarter. Um, he, had, You know, he had to play a lot of snaps, him and Julian Rochester, because I didn't realize until, you know, real much long ago that Tyler Clark didn't play. So um, they were getting a lot of reps, and I thought Trent did well. Yeah, you know, actually I had Trent initially on my list of shout-outs, but just in the interest of time, I cut it down to three or four guys, and Trent got left off, but he was on my list, just did not get a chance to get to him. But Alvin, you're right, man. He totally stood out to me in a couple of different plays, really in the second quarter especially, chasing down plays from the backside. Downfield, there was a, uh, there was a pass that was completely a little bit down the field, and who was there to make the tackle? About 15, 20 yards downfield. That's right, it was Trent Thompson. So he's always had that motor, but, he's, but he was inconsistent with it. Now he's playing with that motor on a consistent basis. His talent is shining through, and he's kind of being overshadowed right now by Roquan Smith and Lorenzo Carter, the kind of seasons they've gotten off to, and they're getting a lot of attention, and justifiably so. But Big Trent, it's been a little more quiet for him, but he's he's certainly turning things in the right direction. He's becoming a lot more of a consistent force first there in the interior, which is exactly what we needed from him, and he will make his presence felt much more as the season progresses. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Uh, all right, next question here. Aaron on Twitter asks, do you feel like the goal on defense against Sanford was just to keep things in front of them? A couple of drives looked awful. We touched on this a little bit on the recap show on Monday. But, Kerr, how would you answer that question? Do you really think the goal against Sanford was just kind of keep things in front of us and just kind of get out with a win? Um, Yeah, I think more than anything it was just working on scheme more than anything. 
Yeah, you mentioned that. You, you really thought it was just a chance for us. We played so much man coverage against Notre Dame. You thought it was a chance for us to kind of work on some more zone looks. That's what we did. We we went, again, can't say exclusively, but we went with a heavy load of zone looks against uh, Stanford. And I think a part of that was scheme. They like to get the ball out of their hands quickly. You want to kind of interrupt those passing windows. I think also part of what you said is true also that uh, – that we just want to get some work with those looks because we're going to have to use them at some point later on the season. I think that's that's a fair point as well. Uh, but I think we had a lot of respect for Devin Hodges, their quarterback. Like we said on Monday's show, I mean, he was the, I know it's the Southern Conference, but still, it's the Southern Conference reigning player of the year. So he's a good player. I mean, he's not an FBS, SEC copper player, but he's a guy that can hurt you if you give him the chance to. So there was just really no need to, to play a ton of man coverage and let guys get behind you. Especially when you're down, Malcolm Perry, you're still down a corner. There's such a, a lack of depth there in general, anyway. So I think it's a combination of things there that led us to, to kind of go with that scheme. But you're right; there were a couple of drives there where they were they were completing some passes, especially late in the second late late in the second quarter there to end the first half. I know Kirby was not very excited about it. Neither was I. That should really. I mean, I know we gave up to less than 250 total yards against Sanford, but I would like to keep that number even lower. I shouldn't break 200 against us, to be honest with you. But I, th- I think, that, like I said, there's a combination of factors there. Uh, next question here from Nathan. Uh, Nathan, uh, it's a really good question here. He says, and Curtis, you and I have talked about this a couple of times, and uh, this is about Jake Fromm. Uh, he says, Nathan says, it seems like every time Jake Fromm scrambles, he tucks the ball away pretty much instantly and doesn't look downfield for a scrambling drill throw. Have you noticed the same thing? If so, is this a coaching thing? trying to minimize freshman mistakes, or did he do the same in high school? Kurt, you and I have talked about this a couple of times off the air. What are your, What's your take on this? Um, you know, I actually have to say from the few times I watched him in high school, I do think he actually does it too. Once he tucks, I think that's really his decisions made. And, and I have to say the thing that I've noticed in college or anything is, is not even when he's, you know, scrambling. I mean, he'll just be taking, you know, as soon as he has to move at all other than stepping up in the pocket or anything, his eyes are no longer looking downfield. Um, and I think that's just, you know, you could say it's coaching, but I think also, I think it's just a fact of what he's what he's done in the past. Um, you know, that's one of those coaching things. I mean, it's hard, just like it's hard to coach kids to look, keep their eyes up downfield. I mean, I think that's something that, that they do by muscle memory more than anything. Yeah, I, I will say, I, mean, I watched this guy a lot in high school, and I saw him do a better job with this in high school where he when he escapes the pocket, kind of keep your eyes downfield and kind of scramble drill. I saw him do a better job. I'm not saying he was perfect at that. but I, Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't wasn't like it is now where as soon as he just took – Yeah, right yeah, now he's – as soon as yeah, he escapes right now, the pocket, he's either through. looking to run or throw the ball away. He's not really keeping his eyes downfield. Because there's, there are a couple of plays in the Appalachian State game. There are a couple of plays in the Notre Dame game where he escaped the pocket. And there were plays being made there if he keeps his eyes open and – just, I mean, that's he, when a lot of plays actually, a lot of big plays happen because the coverage sure, breaks down thinking sure. that you've got them. Uh, well, the, it puts the defenders in a, in a situation where they're in conflict. They either have to attack you at the line of, towards the line of scrimmage to take away your, your scrambling ability, uh, and if they do that, then you can throw the ball over their heads, or they stay with this, with their receivers back there in the secondary, and if you do that, then the quarterback can pick up a couple yards running the football. Now, Fromm's not going to be a crazy throw with his legs, but he can still pick up a couple yards if you if you give him that room. So it puts a defense in conflict, and you're right. That's when coverage breaks down. You can make a lot of plays like that. Those scramble drills can be deadly if you if you do them correctly. I mean, Aaron Rodgers in the NFL, if you guys watch, watch oh him at all, I mean, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a master at it. I mean, he's, he's absurd. Uh, and, and of course, Jake Fromm is not Aaron Rodgers, but you can really hurt teams by keeping your eyes downfield and making plays on the move like that. And I, I do agree with you, Nathan. We, Curtis and I, like I said, we've talked about this 
off the air. This and actually, I think in, in games we were tw- we were texting each other about this, right? I, I think yeah. it's the Appalachian State game. Definitely do. And so, I mean, we're, we're definitely seeing that too. And I think this is something that you can coach up to a degree, but I also think Curtis is right also that a lot of that is just innate. As when you, you when you escape the pocket, it's kind of like you, said, like you said, Kurt, muscle memory. When you get out of the pocket, you keep your eyes up and you look for a receiver. You, you yeah, can coach I mean, that. You see, you see coaches taking more than full off seasons trying to coach up the younger guys to do that. And for a young guy, there's so much going through your head. Your your head is truly spinning at this point. And that's that's honestly the last thing on your mind when you're out there. You're just trying to get the play called. You're trying to get your, your pre-snap reads. And once the ball snaps, you're going through your post-snap reads. And when you scramble, when you're feeling pressure, you're trying to get away from that pressure. You don't want to go down. You're trying to try get the should I throw the ball away? Should I scramble? What should I do? So the scramble drill, I mean, at this stage in your career, that's really in the back of your mind. That's something that you're, that's going to have to be coached up, and he's, and he's gonna, definitely going to have to do a better job at it. Uh, I think, but it, the speed of the game plays a part of this. Just being a young guy, like I said, having so much yeah, going I, I on. I have to say, I think speed of game does too, because it just it, and I, the one thing I've noticed about Fromm too is right now where he at is it at his in his game is he's more of a rhythm thrower. Um, you know, sure. get rid of it. In, you know, two to three steps. That's the, where he's more successful. Sure. And the times where he's not getting rid of it quickly are the times that his percentages are lower. Yeah, I mean, when he's running those RPOs and those quick. Two three step drops. That's when, like you said, that's when he's at his best right now. So I, I think it's something he absolutely needs to work on because there have been in the first two games, and I don't think as much against Sanford last Saturday, but the first two games definitely there were some plays that were left out there that could have been big plays for us. And when we when we get to the SEC competition, that portion of our schedule, which is coming up real quick here this week, we're gonna have to make plays like that when they're there. We're gonna have to try to manufacture some offense. And if, if you can, if you get out of the pocket and a guy's downfield and he's open, you've got to be able to first identify him, and then second, you got to hit him. Uh, Nathan has another point here about Jay Fromm. This is another one, Kurt. You and I have talked about a little bit. Uh, Nathan says it looks like Fromm has a mile of open space in front of, in front of him on just about every one of our zone read or RPO plays. Do you think he has been told never to run with the ball under any circumstances because the coaches are terrified of playing Bryce? Uh, he says Bryce more interceptions than completions. Ramsey, if Fromm gets hurt, this is a, I think this is a very interesting question, Kurt. And I know we've talked about it a little bit. I'm interested to get your take on it right now after three games. Yeah, I mean, I will say the thought of pick six playing is a little worrisome. Um, Go but the thing six, is, yeah. yeah, that's a nickname that goes around for right. Bryce is a pick six by some people close to the program. Um, but going back to it, the thing is that you know I think that it may be a little coaching, but at the same time, like. All right, we we all a lot of it go back to the fumble with Chubb where you know Nada was wide open. The thing about that was, is I don't even know if he pulled it if he would have been able to get the ball to Nada because the fact was he was so committed to handing it off. He was Usually, too late. He tried to pull the ball too late. Nick had Nick yeah, had clamped down on the ball. He thought he was leaving it. with Your him. whole body is still facing the field where you can pull it, and you're right there still in position to throw. But that one, he was so committed to handing it off, his back was completely turned. And that makes me question if it is a true RPO right now. And, you know, we, we don't know. I mean, maybe it goes along with some of the things, too, of, you know, of the speed of the game and things, decision-making right now, trying to just go get, let, you know, give the ball to the upper class and then let him try to make something happen instead of, you know, possibly pulling it and make a freshman mistake by reading it wrong, pulling it, and then getting a big hit. Yeah, I mean, those are all fair points. I do think we're definitely running RPOs with, with Jake, uh, but the speed of him reading it is not, at least in a couple, there's a couple situations or instances where he's not reading as quick as we like. That one with Nauta against Notre Dame, in my opinion, 
if he pulls that on time, the one where he fumbled with the, the, the handoff there with Nick, if he pulls it on time, in my opinion, that is a touchdown. If he hits him in stride, that could easily be a touchdown. One thing I do think really bears mentioning when you're talking about Fromm and running RPOs, the version of RPOs we're running does not involve a quarterback or run threat. That's not the version of the RPOs we're running. There's all sorts of different permutations of RPOs, and that is not part of what we're doing. We're essentially giving him one read, basically. He's reading either a linebacker or a safety, or, or it could be a star player, nickelback. Uh, and if that guy crashes towards the run, he pulls it and he throws it. Uh, if he doesn't, if he stays with the receiver, he hands off and we have a numbers advantage. I have not seen, at least at this point, based on what I've seen, and I could be wrong here, but what I've seen, I don't think the run element is there with Fromm. So I don't think he's been being given that option. I don't think Eason will be either because they're not dual-threat type guys. Um, what's more concerning for me is when we do run what looks like a zone read where it's not really, there's no RPO element involved where you have your tight ends, your receivers are actually blocking, they're not running routes. It looks like we're running the, the traditional zone read, right, where he looks like he's reading the backside in, you hand off or you pull it. I am of the opinion that we're not actually – Telling, we're not giving him the option to read that. I think it's a predetermined play call. I think it, it might look like a zone read, but he's either told to hand it off or pull it. And to, to this point, he has not been told to pull it because there are multiple times where anyone in their right mind would have pulled the ball if he's given the opportunity to pull it and, and run that. Because the, the linebackers and the defense ends, or the, whoever the backside player is, the in-man line of scrimmage, is crashing down hard on the running back, and Fromm is not pulling it. I don't think, I know he's a freshman, but I don't think he's that big of a freshman to where he can't read that play. That's a very, very, very simple read. I could go out there and read that right now. So I'm of the opinion that we're just telling him, like Nathan's suggesting here, to not pull. I think these are predetermined decisions. We're telling him to to, hand the ball off, and it might look like his own read, but it's not really. Is that, I mean, am I off base there, Kurt? Do you think that's realistic? I think that's realistic, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably what we're looking at here. And I think Nathan's right. Like honestly, we probably don't want to right now. If if he gets hurt, you're bringing right Bryce Ramsey in, and I don't think that's a situation our coaches want to be in. Right, I, I really don't. I don't think anyone in the Georgia fan base wants to be in that situation if we're going to avoid it. So why risk from getting hurt for a four to five yard gain? Uh, it would be really nice. It would be very helpful for our run game for him to pull it once or twice because it would just keep them honest. The, the possibility that he might pull it and run it would definitely be something that would help the running game out in general because you don't have the backside in, whoever that in-man line of scrimmage is, crashing down on the tailback every single time we hand it off out of shotgun. Uh, and I, Hey, I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked to see us pull that out of the playbook at some point, maybe even this week. It would be I – mean, if, if this was Mike Bobo calling the plays, and I know it's not Mike Bobo. Remember back a couple, couple – it was, what, Stafford's second year? I think it was at Tech. You pull out that zone read. Nobody expects Stafford to run it. The in-man line of scrimmage crashes. Stafford pulls it. Boom. Touchdown. Seven points for us. So I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that at some point because they are crashing hard every single time, and you've got to hold them honest at some point. And what better time to do it than against a top 25 SEC opponent here at home get off the right start here in the SEC? Uh, next question is from Tim. Now we're on to some Mississippi State talk here. From here on out, will be all Mississippi State questions. Tim says, Mississippi State's defense seems pretty physical. Do you think our offensive line can hold up against them? Kurt, what do you think about that one? Um, I think it's going to be our true first test if they can. And I think more than anything that I don't think we're going to be able to go out and run right at them. I think we're going to have to scheme to, you know, a lot of it. I think you'll see rollouts, bootlegs, and maybe more of a shotgun and trying to go to the edge and attacking them with speed on the edge, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man, honestly. Tim, I'm glad you brought this one up because, to me, the very question you just asked, 
This is one of the keys to the game. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what's going to decide the game, really. Yeah, it's one of the keys to this game. And outside of slowing down Nick Fitzgerald, this is probably my biggest concern going into this game. Can our offensive line hold up against the Mississippi State defensive front? Jeffrey Simmons, guys, whatever you think about him off the field, and I understand if you've got some reservations about him. I do, too. But on the field, the guy's a beast. I mean, what he did against LSU, and he came on late last year. Uh, he wasn't a force all year long for them, but last couple games of the year, in the bowl game, he played pretty well. They should have gotten to a bowl game, but they did uh, by virtue of uh, either APR score. Uh, but he's really come on the early part of this season, and I honestly, I'm not sure how we're going to be able to handle him. I'm very concerned about that matchup with him on, on the interior of the offensive line. Kinley's the only guy I feel even moderately comfortable kind of handling him. I have very little faith in Gilliard and uh, Baker at this point to handle a guy of Simmons' caliber. And it's not just him. Their entire defensive front, they've lost some guys, but they they played really well to start this season. And our offensive line's been adequate. Okay, I think it's fair to say we've been a little bit better than last year to this point. Yeah. Probably, but not by leaps and bounds. So this is a this is a major concern for me. They are physical. We are undersized up front. We all know that. We're averaging under 300 pounds across the line of scrimmage there on offense. So it's a concern for sure. Um uh, I think our offensive line, I'm not going to sit here and say that we can't do it, but I, I, I'm something I'm going to keep a very close eye on, and I have my I have my doubts, and I certainly have my concerns. I'll be very impressed if we're able to hold that defensive line at bay. Be interesting, very interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, next question here. Uh, if Eason is somehow healthy by game time, I'm sorry, I forgot to write the name down who sent this to me, so I apologize for not saying who this is from. But uh, if Eason is somehow healthy by game time, you got to start him because of SEC experience, right? Kurt, what's your take? Um, I think you just got to start him because, I, I mean, my biggest thing is what he, I do think the experience can trump certain things. I mean, kind of like what we saw out of, uh, you know, there's certain situations where maybe Fromm should have thrown that ball away last week and a fumble like that can change the game in a, against a good team like Mississippi State. Yeah. And, but he's, the, the, I mean, he's still a young guy, too. It's not like he's not going to go out there and make mistakes. He'll make yeah, mistakes, I mean, too. You guys say, uh, yeah, I heard people said, you know, it should turn away. But at least that ball where he got hurt on, he was he was getting out of bounds, wasn't taking a chance of actually, honestly, taking a hit. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is, I think you also got to look long-term, like we point, as we have pointed out. I mean, there's long-term implications of not really playing him. Well, absolutely. We've gone over that multiple times. Uh, I don't want to rehash that too much. I know you guys, if you listen to the show, you've heard us go over that. But my answer to this question is simply, if Eason is 100% and without limitations, absolutely yes. you I mean, the question you is, with you also got to say, why, why wouldn't you if he's 100% yeah. healthy? Yeah, I mean, look, he was a starter to open the season for a reason. And if you look at, I know Kirby kind of played up the quarterback battle in the spring to try to push Eason, but come fall camp, there in if you look at just based on Kirby's public proclamations, there was not really a quarterback battle in fall camp. Eason was the guy. He said that during the offseason after spring practice, he was going around doing his touchdown club meetings and all that good stuff. For him, it was pretty clear that Eason was the guy. Uh, and and they're the ones to see practice every day, so they have their reasons. So for me, he was the starter for a reason, okay? And when he goes out for a couple games, it, like we said when, when this injury initially happened, if Fromm had come in and completely tore it up and just – turn the world upside down with how good he was playing, then then you have a legitimate debate. But for, while Fromm has been very good, okay, uh, well, maybe very good, strong, he's he's done a good job as a true freshman coming he's in this situation. Well. Yeah, he's he, he has not been a liability. I'll say that. He has absolutely not been a liability. He's done some good things. He's made some mistakes, absolutely. But he's done some really good things, and he has not really 
killed us. He hasn't hurt us. He hasn't cost us a game yet. But when you have Eason, the guy that we invested so much time in last year, went through all those growing pains, all the bumps in the road, I don't think that you want to go through that again for a guy who's putting up the kind of performances that Fromm has put up to this point. Now, he'll grow and he'll get better. I have zero doubt about that if he was to be the guy going forward. But you know, he's already shown you that you're going to go through some growing pains. No matter how bright I think his future is, this is a guy that's averaging about, I mean, really, what, less than 150 yards passing a game? Is is that performance good enough to unseat Jacob Eason? I know Eason, there's still a lot of doubts about him, and he hasn't proved it consistently yet. But I don't think Fromm has done enough to say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to play him the rest of the year and sit Eason, a guy who won the starting job through spring and through fall camp. I just don't think he's done enough yet. I think right now our coaches invested so much in Eason. Uh, they know what they've gotten him to a degree that they've they've put all the time in in terms of going through those growing pains and, help, and having him learn from those experiences where Fromm is going to have to go through those mistakes. And I don't think our coaches are too keen on going through that right now, especially when you consider, in my opinion, the fact that the East – is so is so there for the taking, man. It is ours for the taking. Yeah, unless if we win this game, I think I, I honestly believe if we win this game, we're in the drivers. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, if we, well, if we win these next two games, if we win this game and we beat Tennessee, we had a Tennessee on the road. game, yes. But I honestly, in my opinion, I think this may be the other than Auburn, the toughest game, toughest team we play until Auburn. It very well might be. It very well might be. I mean, if you look at it right now, it's I mean, what matchup number eleven versus number seventeen, and the rating, rankings right now don't mean anything. But this is a yeah, pretty good team. They're getting a little oversold because, like we said, the the scores told a different story against LSU um, because I thought LSU was a little overrated. Sure. Yeah, oh, I definitely. I think LSU was already coming to that game. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a fair point there. And I I just – I think the East is there for us to take by the throat. And we can we, – we're the ones that can mess that up. And if we play a true freshman all year when we have a guy who went through all those growing pains last year and I think is probably – if you look at pure arm talent, probably more talented. I don't know if he has the football IQ of a Jake Fromm, but – but he's he's a sophomore. He's gone through a lot of this. He's got the experience. So, yes. A lot of that experience can you know make up for it. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. And, yeah. and in all honesty, I don't think Kirby. I mean, as much as we like Fromm, I mean Kirby loves Fromm. He loves the leader he is. He it's hard it is not also to. a huge liability for Fromm or I mean for Kirby to tie himself to another freshman in year two. Absolutely, I, that's, I don't think Kirby can afford to do that right now. Uh, but and we've said this a couple times. Going last thing here. Yes, I, I've said this multiple times. So sorry for repeating myself. If you listen to the show on a consistent basis. If Fromm had come in with Eason last year, I firmly believe that Fromm would have beaten him out because he was ahead of him. Where Fromm is right now is ahead of where Eason was this time last year, in my opinion. But we're not comparing Fromm as a freshman and Eason as a freshman. We're comparing Fromm as a freshman and Eason as a sophomore. And at this point, Eason's just seen more. He's just been in the program longer. He's been in the system longer. Regardless of how high Jake Fromm's football IQ is, and I think it's pretty damn high, Eason gives us, I think right now, gives us a better chance to win. Okay, and I know we don't know that for sure, but that's just my opinion on the matter. So yes, if he's 100 percent healthy and he's without limitations, yes, let's go with him. Uh, all right, next question here, Russell. Appreciate the question, Russell. He says, "I saw the Mississippi State LSU score. Tell me how we hold the score low enough to win this game, Kurt. How are we going to do that, man?" Uh, first off, something LSU couldn't do is you gotta give your defense rest. Yeah, you got. I mean, you gotta convert thing, third down. Their offense was so bad that they weren't giving the defense any rest. Yeah. They were on the field for most of the game. And then when you have guys getting injured and, and multiple guys getting thrown on the game for targeting, and, the and lack I'm of depth sure kills you. Harding, he still isn't a factor. Well, he's not 100%. He's not even close, man. His first game coming off shoulder surgery? No, he's not close to 100%. And he had to play a ton more snaps than they really wanted him to because they had a guy go down and you got two guys get thrown out of the game for targeting on, on the defensive line. 
and that that depletes you. You're already it's already a I won't say a thin, but there's not a ton of depth up front for LSU right now. And when you have that happen, you're gonna have to play Arden Key a lot more than you want, and he wasn't in shape to do that. So they were just kind of beaten down. So I, I absolutely think that that was a factor in this here. Um, and when you keep them on the field as long as they were, that's that's gonna hurt. So you're right. We definitely I, gotta convert their down. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it later. Show me. Kirby said, I agree with Kirby. You know, Fitzgerald and Wimbush are both different quarterbacks, but Wimbush has been killing it running. And, Over 200 I mean, yards another, against Boston College. Yeah, another 200 yards, four touchdowns. And, yeah. I mean, we held him in check. I mean, their whole offense didn't rush for, have a rush for more than seven yards. I mean, I know I know that's not going to be the case with Mississippi State, but the defense is there to at least slow them down. Sure, absolutely. Uh, for me to answer this question, I mean, I definitely agree with what you said there. It's going to be key for us to convert third downs and, and keep our offense on the field, keep, give our defense some rest. But I think we have to find a way to negate the numbers advantage that they're going to have in the box when they're on offense if we're going to keep this score low enough. Because that's, that's, that's really what they feed up of. They have, a, they have a, obviously a dual-threat quarterback that they like to run a lot of power football with. And by doing so, they create a numerical advantage in the box. They just have a plus-one scenario. So we're going to have to find a way to negate that numbers advantage. There's really two ways to do that. Either one, you win a bunch of one-on-one battles in the trenches. Your defensive lineman just flat out beat the offensive lineman in front of you. And I think we have some guys that can do that. We have some dudes up front that can handle that. Uh, or, if that's not working consistently, then you can dedicate additional resources, players, uh, you know, safeties, star guys playing star, whatever it is, dedicate them towards the line of scrimmage, put them in the box, and then just pray to God that your corners and your safeties can hold up in man coverage because that's what you're going to be facing. So it's one of those two things. If I had to pick, I, I think we're going to win our fair share of one-on-one battles in the trench. I think Trent's going to have a big game. It's going to be a really important game for him to, to, to kind of show up here. Hopefully Tyler Clark's going to be back after missing last week's game. Kirby said it was a minor injury. Hopefully that's the case because he was playing really well through the first two weeks. Julian Rochester's going to have to be a man. Ledbetter's going to have to be a force out there. Uh, David Marshall going to have to be a force. We're, gonna, we're, we're just going to have to do some work in the trenches on that defensive front. If we can do that, then we will have a very good chance to win this game. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to do that all game long. There's a, there's a high probability at some point we're going to have to, to load the box up with, with additional resources there, with more players. And then when that happens, we just got to hold up in man coverage, man. We did a great job of it against Notre Dame. We just got to do it again. And I actually think Notre Dame's receivers are, I think, no contest, better than what Mississippi State has. So I feel okay with that. I actually, we'll get into this when we do the game preview show. I'm not horrified by this offense, okay? I mean, I, I recognize that Nick Fitzgerald is very good. I give I him mean, that. I mean, it's no different than what they had with uh, Dak Prescott. Yeah. And Kirby's got a lot of experience, and so does Mel Tucker. Yeah, I mean, they both played Dealing I mean, with they, Dan Mullen's offenses. Mel, they've known what uh, wow, Mullen has done since his time right. in Florida. This is not a typical, oh, we play a West team once every eight years. No, this is, uh, this is a, a coaching staff, particularly Kirby and Mel, who have had a lot of experience playing against Mississippi State and Dan Mullen in, in this uh, offensive scheme. So I feel pretty solid about the matchup. I really do. We'll get more depth with it on the preview show, but I, right now I, I feel pretty good. Uh, all right, next question here. A couple more. Uh, Anthony asks, how much did LSU's injuries factor into their loss to Mississippi State? We kind of talked about that already. I think it was a factor, but Kirby asked you this. I do think it was a factor, but they beat LSU by 30 points. So were the injuries worth 30 points? I don't think the injuries were as much as the. I mean, as we I said, also the offense not sustaining any drives, you know, makes the injuries that much more noticeable because you don't have the depth. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that one. Uh, next question here from Reggie. Appreciate it, Reggie. 
Uh, do you think Jake Fromm can stretch the field enough to make Grantham think twice about loading the box? Kerr, I know you and I kind of disagree on this a little bit, man. So how do you see that question playing out? It, do, do I see Grantham load the box? No, do you, do you think Jake Fromm can stretch the field vertically enough to make Grantham think twice about loading the box? Um, I mean, he's shown that he can do it occasionally, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to go out there, you know, doing five-step drops continuously because I don't think that's what he's more co- most comfortable doing. But see, I think he's. I don't think he's as comfortable doing that with as he is with getting throwing with rhythm on a three step drop. But I think he absolutely can do it. In fact, I've seen the I guy mean, do I it. I think he can do it. But I mean, times. my biggest thing is though. I mean, the 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 thing is, a lot of these longer longer pass plays. I mean, you saw it against Sanford. I mean, that play. I mean, it's a very beautiful throw. Um, but it was a little bit longer developing. And against some of these quicker defenses, you don't have that time. I mean, you don't have a clean pocket like that on a longer developing play. As you yeah, know. yeah, absolutely. I think that's more about the offensive line. Yeah, because, I mean, we saw with Easton last year. I mean, there were a lot of times where some of these – I mean, even there were times where the, if the guys were open, there were times you couldn't even get him the ball because it took so long to develop yeah, oh, absolutely. that he was pressured. But I, I will say, if Fromm's given time, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind he can hit those balls. He showed that play to Riley last week. Against Samford, beautifully thrown ball. Now he's missed a few too, but I've seen a guy do it over and over in high school. And I know this is not high school, but he absolutely can do it. I know his arm is not Jacob Eason. I'm not going to sit here and say it is. It's not. But to me, put his arm is plain good enough to put the ball out there vertically. And it's a lot more about ball placement, putting it on guys, putting it in a position to where they can catch the football. And I think he can do that. So I, I absolutely think this is something that we can take advantage of if Grantham tries to load the box. Uh, and all it takes is hit, hit, hit one or two. Hit one or two like we did against Sanford. All of a sudden, things start to loosen up. The run game gets a little more effective, and then we'll be rolling. All right, last question here. This is from Hunter. Hunter, we appreciate the question, my man. Do you think that Georgia will play Nick Fitzgerald similarly to how we played Wimbush from Notre Dame? Can he convert on the plays Wimbush missed that were wide open? Um, I think he's a little bit better passer than Wimbush, but the thing is, I think you'll see similarities. I think we kind of touched on it last show that what we're going to see is kind of how we attack Auburn and putting people like Lorenzo inside linebacker on passing situations, creating and forcing us to have more speed on the field to where we can counteract some of those third down plays where quarterbacks with speed can, you know, move the chains. Yeah, I absolutely expect us to play or at least come out with a very similar scheme to how we approach Notre Dame. I'm sure there'll be some more game plan specific stuff. But I imagine that we'll try to keep Lorenzo on the field like we did against Notre Dame to where he can play the kind of hybrid star outside linebacker position where he can rush the passer uh, but also play out in space because that will allow you to take away some of the run game. When you get that beef in there where you have a guy that can play against the run in the trenches but also go out there and cover in space. So I think we'll definitely see something more similar to that. Uh, and Fisher, he's more experienced passer than Wimbush, but they, neither one of those guys is particularly accurate. So... If a guy's open, Fitzgerald can hit him, but I don't think he's going to tear you up with his arm unless he gets the run game going. That's really what they feed off. Feed off. They they run the football, get you to load the box up, they get one-on-one matchups. They try to to run a lot of pick plays, get guys open. They really everything they th- when they throw the ball, it's completely off the run game. We'll talk about more of that when we get to the preview show. But he can hit some guys, but I don't think he's that much more advanced as a passer than Wimbush is. All right, guys, let's go ahead and bring in Will Salmon, the Mississippi State beat writer for Mississippi's leading newspaper, the Clarion Ledger. If you guys want to get a very educated feel for the Mississippi State team and program, you guys can follow Will on Twitter, at Will Salmon. Will, we really appreciate you joining us today, man. Hey, man, that may have been uh, one of the nicer welcomes I've ever received. Hey, so I come on the that. show, man. we got to treat you right. <laughs> got to treat you right, for sure. 
All right, well, let's go ahead and start with Mississippi State's 37-7 victory over LSU. I know that was last week, but I think that's something that really kind of caught the eyes of a lot of Georgia fans. I mean, because it's been a while since State had beaten the Tigers in Starkville, but they definitely made up for it with a resounding, absolutely resounding 30-point victory last Saturday night. Like I said, caught the attention of a lot of Georgia fans. And within the Georgia fan base, at least from the folks that I've talked to and been around, there seem to be two kind of general views of that victory. And I know in general, when choosing between two extremes, the answer usually lies somewhere in the middle. But, Will, if you had to lean one way or the other, would you lean more towards that 30-point victory over LSU being more a function of LSU being overhyped and overrated in the preseason? Or would you lean more towards it being a function of, of Mississippi State just actually being that good? Yeah, it's a good question, and you're absolutely right. The truth always somewhere is it right. can be found somewhere in the middle, like you said, yeah. and that's that's true here too. But I, I do think it's more of a product of the Mississippi State just being a better team than what people thought that they were heading into this year, where they were projected from anywhere from like USA Today, which is my parent company, to ESPN or whoever else. The usual projection you saw in the preseason was about six and six. Right. Um, some may have had a win less or with more but that was really the general consensus i always thought they were a little bit better than that i wasn't sure that they were 30 points better than lsu than that but right. I, I knew that they were better um with lsu you know that they really just surprised me by how i don't want to say undisciplined but just the penalties were just a killer for them and they have been pretty much i mean they've been they were able to get away with it previously against lesser teams in mississippi state but it really came back to bite them against a better team like MSU. So that was really my biggest concern with, with LSU and just their quarterback situation. I mean, that Ling was unable to, to make certain throws. And that's a lot to do with, though, the pressure that he got um, against a pretty good offensive line, um, you know, which is, again, a, a testament to what MSU has in its front seven and the packages and the plays that Todd Grantham, the new defensive coordinator, is drawing up over there. So there's a lot of things about Mississippi State that I think people sort of knew, but they didn't know how much of an impact it would be in a positive sense for, for MSU. And uh, I bring up Todd Grantham's name, and that's one that, that really comes to mind as an example. Also on defense, you have a guy like John Abram, a safety who's new, a f- former player at Georgia. Right. Also, Montez Sweat as well, a defensive end. Both guys, Juco additions that are ma- paying dividends for MSU. Yeah, definitely from watching the LSU game. Those guys, all of those guys you mentioned look very, very good. Definitely eye-opening. And you, you mentioned the quarterback position. When you have a, when you have the quarterback situ, situation that Mississippi State has right now, you always have a chance. So when you're talking about Mississippi State, you have to talk about Nick Fitzgerald. I mean, this is a guy who last season led the SEC in total offense and was also the second-leading rusher in the league, doing that from the quarterback position. So what is it about Nick Fitzgerald that makes him so effective running the show for Dan Mullen? Well, he has a pretty diverse skill set. He's a great athlete, and he's getting better as a passer which he, with each passing week, really, dating back to when he first took over the starting role for MSU last year. It's kind of funny, though, because like last week against LSU, I wasn't completely blown away by his performance. It was a good game. Right, but solid. it was really it was really Aris Williams at running back and, and the offensive line. And then what you saw from Nick was just the ability to really stay composed throughout the whole game, never make a mistake, make all the right reads, and finish drives. And, it, I mean, I don't think that they're going to be able to win games like that all the time 
where where he could be like that. He's going to have to win games on his own for them, of course, sure. and that's what great players do. But yeah, when you have a game like that where you could just look at the stats and say, "Wow, you know, he he has really um, got to the point now where he's making all the right reads." He's uh, he's elusive uh, in the run game, hard to bring down, breaks tackles, and when you couple that with the fact that he's now making accurate throws as well, he's getting better, and uh, he's definitely one of the best dual threat QBs in the country. Yeah, his skill set definitely has brought in from what you saw from him last year. There's no doubt about it. And sticking with Fitzgerald here for just one more question: as effective as he has clearly been on the whole, because this guy has been a stud really since he was inserting the starting lineup at week two last year. There were a few games last year, and again, this is a different year, but last year there were a few games where he was stifled by opposing defenses, namely the, the LSU, to a lesser degree, BYU, and obviously the Alabama defenses. So Alabama pretty much stifled everybody. But in those games, he didn't manage to break 50% passing in any of them and was held to combine 69 yards rushing on 40 carries by those defenses. So looking at just, there's only a few of them out there. There's really only, two, only three defenses that have had any kind of success defending him. How were they able to slow him down? What has been the, the go-to to kind of keep him in check? Well, um, I, I think the biggest difference from like last year to this year could be that, that LSU game because one of his worst games was against LSU and they yeah. actually subbed him out last year uh, for former QB Damian Williams when he was here. And now, lo and behold, this year it's a whole different story. And LSU's defense was supposed to be pretty good again. Um, perhaps not as – maybe maybe not as strong. But, but still, it's LSU. Good. It's LSU. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, but yeah, to, to go back to your to, the, to your question, though, you know, I, I think it was just really, and this this can be said across the country, but like when you have a first year starter in a in a in that sort of spread offense that Dan Mullen runs, where you're asking to, to uh, your QB to do RPOs and make split second decisions. It ain't going to be pretty all the time, and yeah, Georgia's the seeing better that right defenses, now. yeah, and the better defenses in the country are going to expose it. So I don't think it was so much product of exactly what the defenses were doing or taking away, as it was just you had a young QB here who just hadn't been able, hadn't had the opportunity to do this before. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Like I said, we're we're seeing that with Jake Fry right now. All everything quarterback coming to high school, coming out of high school, and. He's he's been solid, but he's he's definitely experiencing some growing pains as well. So we feel that pain. Uh, now, in Fitzgerald, he's obviously a major weapon for Mississippi State. As is, as you mentioned, tail, tailback Aris Williams against LSU. He was just a stud, and he was really the, the driving force in that game. And he's currently the second leading rusher in the league, which is clearly impressive. But outside of those two in the running game, who should Georgia fans be concerned about defending when it comes to the passing games? You mentioned that Fitzgerald is becoming a more proficient passer. Who should Georgia fans be looking at to defend? Well, um, I'm sure you saw the the, the play uh, the, the play action where Keith Mixon, who's really yeah. a slot receiver for them, was just wide open on that play action. Great and play that's design. Really, yeah, that's that's really what you have to be uh, on the lookout for if you're Georgia because they're going to try to do that. I would assume they try to execute the same sort of game plan offensively, uh, mix it up with some design runs for Fitzgerald, feature Eris Williams early, uh, get it going like that because really – MSU does not have um, somebody that you really have to worry about. Now, Donald Gray is their number one receiver, and he's number one in the sense that he's their best one, but he's not exactly a vertical threat. Right. So they don't really have that. Um, so you don't really have to account for stretching the field in that sense. They more look for those uh, screens underneath play action, utilize the tight end sort of thing, which is fine if you could execute it, if you could spread the ball around, which they've been doing. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, with the quarterback making much better decisions in his – second year as a starter, that 
that can be very effective, which it clearly was Saturday night against LSU. Now, on the other side of the ball, the Mississippi State defense, at least through three games, they look to be a very different unit from the one they fielded a year ago. Uh, Through three games against this year, Charleston Southern, Louisiana Tech, and LSU, they were only giving up 206 yards a game compared to 338 yards a game through the first three games last season. And I know stats can clearly be misleading uh, at times, but as, as you've watched this team, has the eye test backed up that, that statistical improvement? And if so, what has been the difference this season for the state defense? Yeah, it really has. And, yeah, you, you, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, like, it's just a small sample size, but it's like, okay, you, they blow out Charleston Southern, and which was expected, of course. Sure. And then I say to myself, okay, well, let, let's see them do it against Louisiana Tech. Okay, they do it against Louisiana Tech. And I say, mm-hmm. okay, let's see them do it against LSU. They do it against LSU. So it's like, how many more times? Probably a couple more times, to be mm-hmm. honest. But the point is that they keep doing it. And I think it's a product of Todd Grantham really establishing a new identity for this team where um, they've always had some pretty physical players. Um, but I think they needed the teaching. They needed a teacher. They needed somebody who could uh, really put them in positions to succeed and utilize the personnel on the field to do that. And that's what Grantham's doing. He's mixing it up defensively. It's not always the same guys uh, starting the games, for that matter, uh, albeit all, even on the field, for that matter. Um, he's mixing it up, utilizing some dime packages, nickel packages, uh, disguising blitzes, the whole works. Uh, and he's doing it effectively. And he's doing it on third down, too. They've been dominant on third down. Uh, I think they held LSU to three conversions the whole game. And I think that's a product of their pass rush, mostly, um, that they've been able to generate uh, through Todd Grantham's uh, blueprint for this defense. Yeah, they they definitely look the part right now. It's... Like I said, I keep coming back to this, but it's just it was eye-opening last week. And I know it was you say it was just one game, but like you said, you know, okay, they they blow out Charleston Southern, expected L- Louisiana Tech, yeah, a little, little bit of an upgrade over Charleston Southern, but but handle them, and then they do it again, do it again against LSU. At some point, it becomes a trend. It becomes who they are. Uh, and stick with that defense for a minute here. Who are the key players specifically on this state defense that? An offense coordinator like Jim Chaney is going to have to specifically game plan for. Who are those game plan wreckers that the Bulldogs are going to have, or the Georgia Bulldogs are going to have to be looking out for? Well, you hear Todd Gratham all the time talk about setting the edge, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, and obviously that means if you're uh, on the outside, you're, put, you're, you're forcing that running back to, to go inside and, and you're eliminating him from bouncing to the outside. So they got some really good guys on that outside. Uh, as far as outside linebackers and defensive ends go, uh, starts with Montez Sweat and Gary Green on those two spots at the outside linebacker. They're utilized more as ed- edge rushers, excuse me. Right. And that's why you see a five-man front a lot of times from MSU against the run and then inside it all starts with Jeffrey Simmons um, who had a uh, you know a heck of a game against La Tech and was it didn't really show up as much in the stats it wasn't like he was uh, you know having two touchdowns again against right, LSU right. but he had a pretty good game against LSU as well and then the linebackers are also pretty good um, in, in the middle as well with Des Harris and Leo Lewis Lewis being an all SEC freshman last year yeah. so um, their front seven is very good and I think their secondary is much better than it was last year more experienced as well so it, it is a pretty good defense I think yeah and I know traditionally people when you think about Mississippi State you don't think of maybe a recruiting powerhouse but they brought in some legit talent on that side of the ball in the past couple of years. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons was an all-everything recruit. Leo Lewis as well. They had to fight off some big-time recruiting superpowers to get those guys. And this defense is legit right now. I mean, they have some serious playmakers on that side of the ball. There's no doubt about it. 
All right, and finally, we'll we'll get you out of here on this one, man. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction because I know you you probably want to save that for later in the week. But if you would, just finish the following sentence for me, okay? Mississippi State will win in Athens on Saturday night if... If its rushing attack is able to do what it did against LSU. Yeah, absolutely. I think think so because... Uh, I think that that I think they're both kind of similar in that sense, Georgia and MSU. Um, but it, and, and they both have really good defenses against the rush too, and that's really why I say that because I think if MSU can get the upper hand with what they want to do, I think their defense is good enough where they they can limit Georgia's rushing attack yeah. as as dynamic as it is. Um, I will say, of course, so that, that's why they play the games. But that's what that's what's been uh, that's what I've been mulling when it comes to this game. Yeah, and that's kind of been Mississippi State's recipe for victory, at least to this point, and kind of in last season as well. All right, Will Salmon, the Mississippi State beat writer from the Clarion Ledger in Mississippi. Will, man, we really do appreciate you taking the time of your schedule to join us today. Hey, man, I enjoy the talk anytime. All right, well, take care, bud. Well, that's going to do it for us, guys, today on the Glory UGA podcast. We really hope you enjoyed the interview with Will. We wanted to bring you kind of the perspective of someone close to the Mississippi State program because, let's be real, given that they are a non-crossover Western Division foe, we don't get to see a lot of them. So we thought it might be uh, worthwhile to bring Will on the show and kind of get uh, an expert's take on the Mississippi State team that will be heading into Athens to play between the hedges on Saturday night. We're also sorry if we did not get to all the mailbag questions. We covered just about all of them. If there's one or two that we had to leave out, I, I do apologize for that. We wanted to make sure that we had time to get Will in. But please keep all the questions and comments coming, and I assure you that we will get to them as soon as possible on the show. So for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Make sure to check back in with us on Thursday for the full Mississippi State-Georgia game preview. Thanks for listening, guys. Always appreciate it. And go dogs.